Uh, go ahead and make your way back to your seat if you would. And uh, this would be a great time to put your uh, device, your cell phone on a quiet mode or a vibrate mode so we uh, can look into the word without being distracted. And I'm going to ask you right now to give careful attention to the public reading of the word of God by Mr. Bill Rowley. Our scripture this reading this morning is from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. A voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain shall be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fail, fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held out the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What images will you compare him to? As for idols, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. 
He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow weary and tired, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40. I'm a fan of big God theology. Big God theology. And uh, by God's grace, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I want to convey big God theology to the people of God. There are times when the people of God find themselves in situations that weren't what they had anticipated and nor what they would have chosen. There are seasons in life when the things that have happened to us can leave us wondering if this is how it was actually supposed to be. We, we never thought it was going to turn out like this. We never thought life was going to be this way. I'm reminded of that every time I read through those weekly prayer requests that you give us on the weekends. I want to give you a sampling of those just from last week. There's a request that says, please pray for this young woman. She had to go to the ER on Friday. There is a possibility that she might lose her baby. Please pray for our daughter. She knows the truth, but right now she's not living it and she's not following Jesus. This one says, pray for my country, Ethiopia, where yesterday 67 of my people were killed. Pray that children in forced separation from their family be reunited again with their family. Pray for some family friends of ours. The, the man was a pilot of a small float plane that crashed in the lake yesterday with two passengers and not one of them has been found. Please pray for this young woman who is having brain surgery this Tuesday. Pray for our friends who were forced to evacuate from Sonoma County, California because of the wildfires there and to leave their home. Pray for my 17-year-old granddaughter and healing of her depression. She's been hospitalized for seven days. Pray for my siblings who were caught in a custody conflict. Pray for the 
my mother-in-law who has pancreatic cancer and liver cancer and lung cancer. Gentleman says, I found out this week that my company is looking to outsource our, my department, which will likely impact my job. I will likely lose my job. Pray for my husband, who's a non-believer, and my son, who's eight years old and needs prayer. He has behavioral and physical issues. Please continue to pray for this young lady that God will deliver her from the pain of being victimized. She's struggling with depression and lack of motivation. And it goes on and on and on. Those kind of situations can leave us thinking, where is God? I thought God said that he works out everything for the good of those who love him. Where's the good in any of this? I'm beginning to think that maybe God just doesn't care that much. Have you ever had thoughts like that? You are not alone. There are all kinds of people, even sitting in this room right now, who have had thoughts like that. And really, this is exactly where those ancient people of God found themselves back in the days of Isaiah the prophet, right around 700 B.C., for them, in so many ways, things were not turning out like they had hoped, not like they had thought they would. If you know any of the history of the nation of Israel, you know it had started out with great promise, right? There was their famous ancestor Abraham, a man who was, was sovereignly selected by God to be a patriarch, to be the father of a, a special people, the people of God. God had made a covenant with him, promised him a miracle son, innumerable descendants and promised him a land a special homeland ultimately through his line God promised also a divine Messiah who would come and bless the entire world and through a series of events and a number of twists and turns God had indeed formed the descendants of Abraham into his special people the people of God and he would delivered them from enslavement in Egypt and brought them Again, through a number of twists and turns into that promised land, the land of Canaan, as he said he would do. He'd driven out from before them those pagan peoples who had occupied that land. But now, years later, during the time of Isaiah, things had kind of gone sour. That once fabulous, powerful kingdom of Israel that had been so prosperous and united under the king, king David and King Solomon... Now it had been divided. It was now two kingdoms, the ten tribes of Israel to the north and the two tribes of Israel to the south called Judah. It was due to their sin and their rebellion and their idolatry, and the northern kingdom in a weakened state had already been demolished by a superpower from the north called Assyria, and now the southern kingdom of Judah that was ruled from Jerusalem by King Hezekiah, a good king, Judah was also now coming under threat, and this time not from Assyria, but from a, a young upstart new empire called Babylon. You might recall the story of Hezekiah that he had grown deathly ill, and he was about to die, and he pleaded to the Lord and said, God, will you, will you grant me a reprieve here? And the Lord answered his prayer and gave him an additional 15 years of life. And uh, many people were rejoicing over that. The king of Babylon heard about it and sent to Jerusalem, an envoy with, with letters and with gifts to celebrate Hezekiah's recovery. But then Hezekiah, the king, did something very foolish. He, he showed off a little bit, 
And bad things usually happen when we try to show off, right? And he, he took these visitors from Babylon and he showed them his storehouses and he, he showed them his treasures. And you can just imagine their eyes popping wide open as they saw all the gold and all the jewelry and everything that was in Hezekiah's storehouse. And they, they began to drool over that. And don't you know, they took that word back to their king. You got to see what they got down there in Jerusalem. In Isaiah 39, verse 6, the the prophet Isaiah, the prophet of God, was sent to King Hezekiah, and he told him that those foreigners that he thought were his friends would actually become his enemies. And he prophesied that in the coming years, Jerusalem would be completely plundered by the kingdom of Babylon. That Babylon would be God's instrument of judgment on his own people, his own rebellious, proud people, and They would invade their land and sack their cities and take their sons and daughters and carry them away, deport them. And so as this message was received by King Hezekiah and delivered to the rest of the people, you can imagine that things were looking pretty grim, pretty grim for the people of God. And it dawned on them that life as they had always known it was going to change now. Their kids and their grandkids would not know the kind of existence that they had known. The prospects for having a a bright future, those prospects were fading away. What awaited them was not peace and prosperity, but loss. Loss of their homes, loss of freedom, loss of identity, and, and years of forced servitude to a foreign king. So what do you do? What do you do when you receive news like that? How do you respond when something happens in your life that just changes everything and alters the prospects of the future that you had in mind. I still remember Paul Tripp standing right up here a number of years ago when he was a guest preacher, and he he looked out at each of us and he said, you know what, I want to tell you something. Your life has not turned out the way you thought it would. And so many people were nodding their heads saying, you're right. For many of you, that is just the truth today. You never thought your life would turn out the way that it has. Perhaps a shocking diagnosis put your whole life on hold, or a financial setback just changed the game for you. Or maybe like some have experienced, your little baby was born with a rare condition, and as things have moved on, you're realizing that they're going to need your constant care for the rest of your life. Perhaps a health issue gets revealed that means you're, you're going to be more limited. You're not going to be able to do all those things that you thought you'd be able to do by this stage of the game. Or maybe you have a parent who suddenly dies. Or maybe your adult child chooses a path that completely alters the dynamic of your family. I was in Giant Eagle the other night, as I am every night, it seems, <laughs> picking up that gallon of milk. because We run out of milk, and uh, I ran into a guy that I, he, I hadn't seen in many, many years, a friend of mine. He... He uh, came to this church back in the 80s when we first started. He met his wife in my singles group, like in 1988, 89. And uh, right around the year 2000, he moved down to Cincinnati. He had a, a great job, very specialized field. And I kind of lost touch with him, and I just ran into him at Giant Eagle up the road here the other night. I'm like, Jerry, what are you doing here? <laughs> he said, well, I'm, I'm uh, bringing my father-in-law up for uh, an appointment. He's, he's failing, he's declining, and we're... We're caring for him, and we just talked and caught up for a little bit. I said, how's the job going? And he said, oh, you haven't heard? 
I said, I guess I'm not on Facebook as much as I, I should be to stay up on things. And said, so, well, I, I lost my job a year ago. I haven't worked for over a year. I've been living off the severance and living off savings and dipped into our 401k. And he said, you know, now we've got an extra person in our household we're taking care of and, and money's tight. And I could just tell on his face that, that Jerry's life hasn't turned out quite like he thought it was going to turn out. And this happens, right? People of God are not immune from these kinds of situations, these kinds of life-changing events. And so the question arises, is there a message for us if we find ourselves in that situation? Does God have something for disheartened believers? And I would offer you this, that thankfully, yes, Christians down through the ages have, have often landed right here in Isaiah 40 and found hope. Hope, because immediately following that dark prophecy that Isaiah delivered to King Hezekiah, we find this word of encouragement and hope for God's people right here in Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And what's he saying? He's saying the Lord has not forgotten his people in their distress. He has not turned a blind eye to their desperate plight. And what we see here is God summoning, as it were, a company of comforters to come and speak tenderly to his people, people that he still cares for despite all of their sin, despite all of their idolatry. And from the words of those comforters, I want to draw out six ways for the people of God to find comfort in the midst of disheartening days. And if you haven't pulled your study guide out yet, you can do that and follow along with me. And the first one is this. The comforter says, take comfort in the fact that God's judgment of your sins has been completed. Here's something you can find comfort in. Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Many people believe the prophet Isaiah himself is the one that was here called by God to deliver this word to the people. And interestingly, it's as if God transports Isaiah forward about 100 years into the future because he speaks here as if the people have already been carried away into captivity in Babylon. They've already endured years of slave labor there. And his declaration here is that the appointed season of hardship is coming to a close. It's going to end shortly that justice has been served, that the nation has been sufficiently disciplined for all of their sins, even doubly so. And so his message of hope here is that their exile is soon coming to an end. You say, does that have any application for us? I believe it does. You see, even though life may be hard, even though things happen that, that change what our future may look like, and even though it might look grim, I believe the, the word of comfort here is that we can still find encouragement in the fact that as believers in Jesus Christ, all of our sins have been sufficiently atoned for. Not by our own suffering, but by the suffering of another in our place. God's just judgment on our sin and our selfishness, on our rebellion, on our idolatry has actually been completed because our sin-bearing Savior, Jesus, drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. 
so we wouldn't have to. And that's good news. No matter what you're going through in this life, because of his great work, because of his loving work of paying for our sins, we can take comfort today. After all, because of that, our eternal future is very bright. I'm talking about like a trillion years from now. Very, very bright. And our days of living as exiles here in this world are numbered. And the older I get, the more I'm looking forward to that. And I would just remind all of us today that anybody and everybody who casts themselves on Jesus, who trusts fully in his great sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins, has this guaranteed hope as well. And the future joy that awaits us is going to be so glorious that that hardship that seems so overwhelming right now, a trillion years from now, the memory will be just a distant, fading memory, won't it? When we've entered into his eternal kingdom with our family. Comfort my people, God says. Comfort my people with the fact that our sins have been paid for. And I say amen. Then a voice is heard calling out, telling God's people to take comfort, number two, in the realization that preparations are being made for God's arrival and the universal display of his glory. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. So there's some, some grading going on, right? Creating a highway. The rough ground will become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, those Jewish people headed for captivity would undoubtedly have begun to wonder if God had abandoned them totally. Like, is God so disgusted with us in our, our sin and idolatry? Is he so disgusted with us that he's just going to forsake us forever? He's just going to disown us? His promises are going to be null and void? The prophet says, oh, no, no. There's a second word of comfort here straight from the mouth of God. Your king, your promised king will indeed come. The road he will take to come to you is going to be ready. And when he arrives, the glory and the splendor of his kingship will on be on display for everyone to marvel at. Everyone will see it. So take hope. Despite what you're going through right now, take hope. Your sin has not voided the promise of God. The Messiah will show up. He will come. We know now that 600 years after this writing, a fiery young evangelist named John the Baptist would actually be that loud voice crying out, right? Prepare the way of the Lord. And the preparation that John would call for would not so much be the, the leveling of the road, the grading of the landscape, but the preparing of the heart that would be necessary to receive this king and to receive his kingly reign. It was a preparation of repentance from sin and from dead religion and from the worship of other gods. But sadly, we know that when King Jesus did arrive, he was not well received by the Jewish people. They weren't really prepared for his kind of kingship that he was offering. 
God had sent them a king who was better than King David, better than King Solomon. But they said, we'll have none of his reign over us. So sad. For us today, our comfort comes not only from knowing that Jesus did come 2,000 years ago as our Savior, but from believing that he's going to come a second time. He's going to come a second time as the music begins playing. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. This time, not as king of just Israel, but king of the entire world. His glory, it says, is going to fill the whole earth, and all will see him as he really is in all of his splendor, all of his majesty, all of his power. And the comforters say, during discouraging, disheartening seasons of our lives, let's take comfort that Jesus is going to come back for us one day and deliver us. We can be with him forever. Let's never, ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus said, if I go away, I will come again. How many of you believe in the return of Jesus? Can I see your hands? Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. Looking forward to that day. Here's a third source of comfort for disheartened souls. Number three, take comfort, it says, in the truth that the glory of powerful people won't last, but the word of God will endure forever. Verse 6, a voice says, cry out. I said, what shall I cry? Here's your message. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. What's his point? The determining factor of reality is not what people say and do it's what God says and does that's his point proud and arrogant world rulers may be convinced that their proclamations their declarations are what sets the course of history that their empires are going to just expand endlessly and leave an enduring legacy but this voice cries out nope <laughs> not so people it says are actually like grass green and thriving during the season of the spring rains but then when the scorching summer sun comes and those hot middle eastern winds start blowing it turns brown and then dies here today gone tomorrow fleeting only god's word prevails through all seasons of life god is the one who determines what happens in human history his proclamations are the ultimately decisive factors in what takes place. Yes, Israel's king and kingdom would be overcome by the mighty king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, but his days too would be numbered according to the plan of God, and his empire would eventually be toppled by yet another king, all by God's decree, all by God's word. So take comfort, people of God, his word will come to pass. It endures forever. Be assured that God will most certainly make good on every single promise he's made to his people. And then there's this one. I love number four. Take comfort in the announcement that God is a sovereign, conquering king who has a shepherd's heart. This is so good. Verse nine. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain 
Like this message is worth announcing to the peoples, he's saying. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. The great godly pastor A.W. Tozer once wrote this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He's right. Our mental image of God matters so much it's the the determining factor for how we live our lives from day to day what we think when we think about god i read about a study done by researchers at the university of north carolina chapel hill a couple years ago they conducted some research they asked 511 american christians to describe what they thought god looks like what's your image of god in your in your mind's eye Each of those respondents looked at 300 pairs of faces and then they chose which of the two they thought looked most like God. And then the researchers created a composite of all of these selections to create a profile picture of the God of American Christianity. Are you ready for this? Here is your God, the God of American Christianity. The researchers noted that People's depiction of God shows him to be a smiling, youthful, somewhat effeminate-looking male who just happens to bear a striking resemblance to Elon Musk. (laughs) Here is your American God. Can I ask you a question? What's your mental image of God? Not that. (laughs) Not Elon Musk, thank God. What is your mental image of God? Let's go on to the next slide. I don't want to see that anymore. (laughs) What comes to your mind when you think about God? A scowling school principal who is disgusted with your behavior? A mean dad who's had just about enough of your foolishness? Is that your picture of God? Or maybe on the other end of the spectrum is... When you think of God, you think of this jolly old grandfather in heaven rocking away with a long white beard, just kind of chuckling all the time. Or maybe a server in a restaurant, eager to take your order and cater to your every whim. What is your mental image of God? The herald here lifts up his voice and says to Israel, here is your God. He is a powerful, sovereign king who conquers all of his enemies. He rules with justice and might. But listen, he also has the heart of a shepherd. Isn't that good? And he gently guides his flock, tenderly caring for his weak little lambs. This is beautiful in its contrast, isn't it? God is a sovereign, powerful ruler, and he's a gentle shepherd. He's both. And when we find ourselves struggling to come to terms with things in our lives that don't seem to make any sense or when we receive news that just changes everything about our future, when we find ourselves muttering, man, my life isn't really turning out the way that I thought it was going to, the Word of God calls us to think about who God is and take comfort in His might 
and in his heart. And especially to see him as our shepherd who sees our weakness and has compassion on us and wants to gather us up into his arms. And so in our distress, we can cry out to the good shepherd and know that he cares for our souls like nobody else does. Number five, take comfort also. If there's not enough comfort yet for you, take more comfort in knowing this, that your God is incomparably big and strong and wise and has no equal among the so-called gods. And what follows in this passage is a beautiful and poetic description of the, the incomparable creator of all things, the unique God who has no rival, no equal, the God who by the power of his word originated everything in the universe, who continually maintains everything in the universe, who controls the operations of all the systems that he put in place, who directs everything towards his ends and his purposes, that God. In verses 12 through 14, we see the wisdom of God in his creative activity, fine-tuning the totality of the universe with precision to his exact standards. The next few verses, 15 through 17, we see his greatness in comparison with the nations who in stature are described as like a drop of water. Think about that. A drop of water. So... God compared to the nations. China, hmm. India, huh, the United States, hmm. It says he measures the water in the hollow of his hand. Think about that. Hmm. Oh, the Pacific Ocean, huh, nice little pond. Listen, God is bigger than you thought. He is huge. He is massive. He is strong. He's the God of 400 billion billion galaxies. He's not that guy we saw up there earlier. He's huge. The nations, it says, are less than nothing compared to him. We see his worthiness to be worshipped in verse 17. It says, there's not enough timber in Lebanon to sacrifice. There's not enough livestock in the whole land for sacrifices worthy of this God. Verses 18 through 20, we're told of the folly of trying to make an image of God or compare anything with him. He's in his own category. He's, he's completely unique. He keeps saying, who are you going to compare me to? In verses 21 through 24, we see God sitting on a throne as the king of kings, ruler over all earthly rulers, something that should have been self-evident to those Jewish people who've been raised with this knowledge, right? They'd heard the stories of how God had delivered their ancestors from Egypt and taken them through the Red Sea and brought them into the Promised Land. Verse 21 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Hasn't been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers compared to him. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught, to nothing, and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground that he blows on them, and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. God is astonishingly big, 
supremely strong, incomprehensibly powerful. And in comparison to him, it says that people are like little grasshoppers, little crickets. We have some in our basement, so I'm doing that pretty regularly down in there. People are like grasshoppers. And he says powerful human rulers are no different. They're just little grasshoppers, too, who've been given some delegated authority over other little grasshoppers for a short period of time. They have zero authority over God. They're no match for the one true king. Verses 25 and 26, we see God again exercising his rights as creator by managing the activities of the cosmos that he created. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me? Who's my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look up to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This is the kind of God we're dealing with here. The star-breathing God. The God of billions of stars. This is the kind of deity that Israel was in covenant with. And we too as the people of God. He's totally and completely unique in his position and power, his place in the universe. It tells us that the Lord alone towers over all creation. The Lord alone towers over the nations and the rulers and all rival deities. Nothing, no one compares to God. In that day, there were people who supposed that because Babylon defeated the people of Israel, well, that must mean that the gods of Babylon must be stronger than Yahweh. But the truth is that Yahweh was just using the Babylonian armies to do his bidding, to accomplish his purposes. They were just unwitting servants of the Most High God, instruments in his hand to carry out his will. To be reminded of the incomparable greatness of God must have brought great comfort to his people in that day, people who were facing the prospects of an uncertain and unpleasant future. And I think it should also bring encouragement to us today in this room, we who struggle in our lives. But it's this final cause for comfort that's the one I love the most because it tells me that my great God, who is massively strong, who spoke stars into existence, this God actually wants to share his strength with weak little grasshoppers like me. And yes, like you. Take comfort, number six, that your tireless God He's not unaware of your difficulties. He stands ready to offer his strength to his weary ones who put their hope fully in him. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. Listen, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths, young people grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, or as the King James says, they who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know, sometimes younger people can feel pretty invincible, can't they? Young people can think, you know what? I'm not like those old geezers. I mean, I got it going on. I got a sharp mind. I got a strong body. I can 
do anything. Sometimes when you're young like that and full of life and full of energy, and things seem to be going well for you, you, you think that you can soar like an eagle and never crash and burn. You think that you can run like the wind and never run out of gas, never falter, but most of us older, more seasoned folks, we felt like that one time too, didn't we? But you know what? <laughs> you know what? Life has a way of knocking all that youthful bravado right out of you. It does. It can bring you to your knees. Or maybe the better posture, flat on your back. Finally looking up. I would contend that's not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's often what God uses to put us in the right posture before him, a posture where we're looking up to God and crying out, Lord, I must have you. I must have you. I got nothing else. I'm out of resources. If I don't have you, I don't have anything. And often it's, it's only when we get to that point of desperation, whether we're young or old, that moment of utter dependence and maybe even exhaustion when everything else has failed us. All the props have gotten kicked out. All our resources are gone. We finally come to see God himself as the one we really need. And we reach out to him. Gotta have you. Gotta have you. It's then, isn't it, that he comes. He lifts our drooping head then that our good shepherd picks us up and gathers us into his arms and carries us close it says to his bosom and when you've experienced that when you've experienced that kind of a moment with God then you'll feel like you can walk again without stumbling run again without petering out and even soar again rising way up high above your circumstances in that situation that has so disheartened you Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to them. And I pray that the Lord grants each of us his wonderful comfort today. I wrote this just as an encouragement for all of us. When you are tired and worn out, weary from life's challenges, emotionally depleted, disheartened by the prospect of a dismal future, when you're maybe even inclined to throw in the towel or seek escape into a world of fantasy, you can actually find renewed strength to soar like eagles and run like the wind by putting your hope fully in the sovereign Lord who cares deeply for your soul. Amen? It occurs to me that God's comfort often comes to us through God's people just like it did through the voices here in Isaiah chapter 40. Isn't that true? More than one occasion on my life when I've been in a very draining or depleting season, wondering if I can go on, it's then that a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, this has happened many times, has reached out to me with a word. And at times it felt like a word directly spoken to me from God. I asked the Lord how to wrap up this sermon today on Isaiah 40, and I had the strong sense that God want us, wanted us in this room to feel that from each other. And so I, I want us to have, in these next few moments, a brother's keeper prayer time. And since we're equal opportunity prayers, a sister's keeper prayer time. 
Can we just stand right now? Can we just stand up together? Because there are people in this room for whom this is not hypothetical today. There are people in this room who are feeling exhausted and weary and worn out and lacking strength. And I would love for you to feel in these next few moments the hands of the people of God on your shoulders praying for you. Brothers, keeper, prayer time. Sisters, keeper, prayer time. If you'd like to receive prayer in these next few moments right now, this, this is where you're at. This is not hypothetical. This is your life. Things have not turned out the way that you thought they were going to turn out. And I want you to feel God's comfort today from his people. Would you lift your hand right now if you'd like to receive prayer? Anybody in the room, just lift your hand up. Over here, over here, over here, over here. Yes. Will, will others of you around them start moving towards those folks and just put your hands gently on their shoulders? Maybe find out a little bit what's going on with them. Anybody else? Don't, don't miss this opportunity to receive prayer from the people of God, to receive God's comfort through the voices of others. Anybody else? Take these next few moments and just bless your brothers and sisters by calling upon the sovereign God who's also the good shepherd to make his presence felt palpably in their soul and in their life. Would you do that? comfort your people through your people by your grace.